Good morning, everybody. Hope you're all doing well today. Thank you for the couple good mornings I got back. That's awesome. Uh, we have been really enjoying this series that we've been going through. And, uh, you know, I've really been enjoying the discussions in groups and things like that that we've had with people. Um, but I just can't understand how we got all the way this far and haven't covered what is arguably the most important of the emojis. I'm really concerned that somehow we didn't lead the series with this, that this wasn't the headline emoji that we used. I can't believe that Pastor Glenn didn't share about this, you know, that it fell to me, but I'm excited to share, finally at last, about the incredible poop emoji. Finally, it gets its moment. Now, there are some ground rules before we get into this life connection, because otherwise, let's be honest, it's going to get messy. Um, the first one, the first ground rule is we're going to keep this family friendly today. I have kids, and I want them to be able to watch this life connection one day. Number two, <laughs> I know the dad's in the room now. Uh, number two, I promise you I will keep the number of dad jokes to a minimum during this life connection. If you need your fix of bathroom humor, I suggest you go to Amazon and look up Harry Bow brand sugar-free gummy bears and read the reviews and you'll be set for a lifetime. It'll be great. Thirdly, let's agree together to not let the emoji get in the way of the message. We are going to talk about poop, it's true, but we're here to talk about Jesus. However, I think that we can all agree that if we get to the end of this thing, if we get through talking about poop and somehow that brings us closer to knowing Jesus better, that we will have to all agree that there is a God that works miracles. That said, here we go. Now the other day, I was absentmindedly humming, humming a song, and maybe some of you do that, you know, depending on how your day is going, and I, I noticed I was humming an old CCR song, you know, it was, I see a bad moon rising, you know, and I realized it was that kind of like the overflow of my heart, you know, I've been going through some hard things, and that's the song that was coming out of me. Uh, maybe some of you have been there, you've, you've had those hard days, maybe you're having a hard day right now, um, maybe you're having a hard week, um, but you know what, in fact, if, if you're here, or if you're in the chat, uh, if you're in the chat, type something out, or if you're here, talk to somebody around you, and tell them what's something that takes a typically good day and makes it a bad day for you? Are there any things that trigger you? Any little things, you know? Uh, for me, I was thinking through, and I was like, well, if Duncan is again out of powdered donuts, how does Duncan Donuts run out of powdered donuts? But anyway, when they run out of powdered donuts, that might be something that makes a good day a bad day. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, it's, 7 a.m. and someone is smiling at you at 7 a.m., right? They want to have a conversation at 7 a.m. Maybe it's, it's, I mean, this is terrible, but you're on your way to work and you're behind someone driving the speed limit <laughs> on a single lane road. What are they thinking? Um, maybe you got home from a really hard day, you had worked really hard that day doing something, uh, and you had been looking forward to coming home and eating the last slice of this gorgeous apple pie, only to find out that one of the house scavengers had beaten you to it. You know, it could be anything, but if you have one of those, feel free to share it, feel free to type that out. And I will tell you, as a diaper change veteran, that I have seen many assorted types of poop, and they're all terrible. 
They all scream, get away from me. I am poop. You don't want to deal with it. They, it looks bad. It smells bad. Um, it's full of germs. It's full of, uh, of, of, of terrible things, waste. You know, it, it, there's never been a poop that is like, man, that's an awesome poop. You know, maybe we think our own are awesome, but that's a different story. But we, we get into this, and it's only really good for burning or for fertilizer, let's be honest. Um, but what do we do when we start using the poop emoji to describe what's going on in our lives. How does that exactly work? Because the human body wants nothing to do with poop, right? That's, that's the truth. And how disturbing is it that most versions of the poop emoji are smiling? <laughs> it's poop and it's happy about it. What's going on here? It's, it's even more disgusting then. Um, but poop is really a great emoji. It really is very descriptive of many things because you know we're texting with our friends and we're we're talking with them and you know we start bringing up somebody that we really don't like. Well, how do we talk about them? We say poop emoji. We say they're poop emoji. Maybe we're saying you know I've had a really tough time with the work politics and we're talking with the people from work and we're saying it's just poop. We deal with poop all day. And maybe maybe you ate at Taco Bell today. But what the poop emoji is doing when we text, when we talk, is it's replacing someone or something with our perception, our perspective of that person or thing. Now, that may be an, act an accurate portrayal. That might be, I mean, this is a bad thing and we're calling it bad. Or it could just be the way we're seeing it that day. Now, going back to some of the things that maybe you whispered to somebody next to you or what you typed in the chat, Maybe one of those things makes you feel like the whole day has gone full on poop, right? I mean, even if good things are happening that day, that thing happens and now it's a bad day. That's the line. Now, I had a staycation earlier this month and you know, and I had really looked forward to it and uh, during my staycation, I had planned to do some studying. Uh, now, you may say, well, that's kind of your job, isn't it, to study a little bit? And I was like, well, yeah, but I think reading the Bible is a good thing. Um, I, I tend to want to read that even when I'm on vacation and I figured, well, since I have to, I'm going to be reading, maybe as well read the thing I have to read to study. Um, but during this staycation, I went through some things and I, I got a phone call and I found out that a mentor of mine from, that had been a mentor of mine for many, many years had passed away uh, from complications due to COVID. And uh, that was bad. But while I was still on the phone, someone else tried to call me. And I found out that I had a relative uh, that I hadn't seen for some years, but my relative had hung himself. And I was wrestling with that. And the next day, I got a phone call learning that an acquaintance of mine, somebody that was deeply connected to me for a few years, had died in a car accident, someone very young. And it was difficult. It was really difficult to make it through that. See, the day prior to any of those phone calls, I had done what is arguably, well, not arguably, it is. It's my favorite hobby in the world. I would do it at any time, at a heartbeat, at any moment. I love to go hiking. It fills my batteries, it balances my life, it gives me that sense of calm which I crave. Uh, I love to hike, so I'd come down from this hike and I had been able to spend time with my kids playing Legos because my kids agreed to play Legos with me finally after begging them, please play with me. Um, so we, you know, I was, it was all happiness, it was all smiley face emojis, it was all unicorn emojis, everything is great in John's life 
And then I got the phone call. And very quickly I progressed through things are poop in my life. And then it was some anger emojis and some grief emojis mixed in. And I gotta tell you that that day started with rejoicing in all the goodness that God had put in my life. And it ended up being a day where I asked God, why is this happening? Why, God, do you let this happen? Where is God on my bad days? Are you maybe feeling this today? Some of you may be feeling the same way I am. Maybe you felt that this week. Maybe you felt that all year. Are you struggling to stay positive? Because I was, I was struggling. I was struggling that day. But it's really amazing how God prepares you for the poop you're going to go through, even if you don't know he's doing it. See, the scripture that I had planned to study, I changed. I was gonna speak on a certain thing this morning and changed my plans. And so that week I had started reading and studying and I thought I was preparing for a life connection. That's what I thought, but God knew he was preparing me for life. Now I'm gonna share the uh, verses I was studying and how they helped me to deal with the poop that the monkeys of life kind of were throwing at me that week. Allow me to summarize a lot of this, but I'm gonna pull out certain sections. Let me read from Job chapter one. Job lived in the town of Uz near the Jordan River. He was very wealthy. Uh, he, was, he had amassed a, you know, thousands of sheep, hundreds of oxen, hundreds of donkeys, lots of servants. He had seven sons. He had three daughters. Job had a pretty good life. In fact, the Bible in verse three says that Job was the most important, the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. And Job was very devout. We find this in Job chapter one, verses four and five. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Any parents ever have to be a little like what Job is doing here? Oh, man, my son, my, my daughter, you know, they were partying again last night. I better be prayed up. I don't know what I'm gonna hear about in a few days. I hope they didn't do anything stupid. You know, I really hope that I can pray and intercede for them. And this was Job's regular custom. Job knew how one bad mistake could ruin a life, one bad choice. So he routinely interceded with God for his children's sake. That's the kind of man Job is. Job was blameless before God. Now Satan cannot stand it when someone is blameless before God, when they are living a devout life. So he's gonna go to God and he's gonna say, God, no wonder Job loves you so much. You gave him wealth, you give him land, you give him servants, you gave him a great family. Job is everything any man ever wants. No wonder he loves you, but let me go at him, God. Let me at him, and I will make him curse you to your face. I will break Job. And surprisingly, 
God says, okay, just don't harm Job physically, but go ahead, go at him. Notice who's not present during this discussion between God and Satan. Job's not there. Because I think Job would like to say, hey, hey guys, could, could we maybe just talk about this a little bit? I don't like where this is headed. You know, he, he has no idea this is going on, but, but that's what's going on. Because Satan wants to get to work right away. He starts right away. He wants to bring Job down. He wants to make Job curse God. And here is what happens to poor Job, starting in Job 1, verses 13 through 19. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. We hear all the time, about Job's patience. Even in secular circles, there are sayings about you must have the patience of Job to be able to put up with that. You must be so patient. Job's patience isn't gonna work in this situation, not yet. How is Job going to react when split-second tragedies impact his life? I mean, just look at what Job loses here in the space of just a few verses. Number one, he loses his oxen and donkeys. These are the animals and tools that worked his fields that gave him his prosperity. Number two, he loses the sheep and the servants which are the signs of his affluence and his accumulated power. Number three, he loses his camels which were seen as a, a way to spread his wealth and power to influence surrounding areas with Job's goods and prestige. And number four, most devastating probably for Job, he loses his sons and daughters. For a moment now, this will be hard. Think about your life. No matter what level of success you've had in your life, and we're all different here, we've all had different levels of success. Imagine for a moment what it would be like to lose your ability, your skill, your physical ability to do something that you really love to do, or that brings in money, or, or that you're good at. Then imagine that just a few moments later, you lose all the wealth and any standing that you have accumulated. Your 401k is gone, your bank account is gone, your house, your assets are gone. Now imagine that while you're losing that, your car blows up in your driveway, and your cell phone was locked in that car, so you have no way to tell anyone just how bad your life has gone, and while that is happening, you find out your family 
is also gone. How could any of us go on after that? We don't even want to picture that happening. I don't. I don't want that for my life. Some people here have experienced a few of those things. I know because I've heard you tell me. And it's hard. It's hard to even comprehend. But how does Job respond when his picturesque, beautiful, hallmark quality life is changed and altered in an instant? If you've ever seen a snow globe, it's like this perfect image, this perfect idea of something. And no matter how you shake it, it still looks perfect. Job's snow globe got vaporized. It was gone. The universe was typing a giant poop emoji over the faithful text of his life. Listen to this, how Job responds. Job chapter 1, 20 through 22, at this, Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he grieved. Then he fell down to the ground in worship. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In all the history of bad days, Job was maybe having the worst day for any individual of mankind up to this point. The poop emoji is not a strong enough description of what is going on in his life. How is he going to survive this? If you ever take the time to read the entire book of Job, I think you'll find something interesting, at least I did. You know, you look at all the things Job lost, which is where a lot of people focus when they study Job. You know, the Bible devotes about 25 verses to that, telling about all the things he's lost, give or take. Then you say, well, it's about what Job was restored to. And the Bible takes five verses and talks about those things, because they're, you know, we like to hear about that, how Job got it all back. The Bible spends 41 chapters talking about how Job was wrestling with why? Why is this happening to me? What have I done wrong, God? Why are you doing this to me? 41 chapters of his family and friends, or his wife and his friends coming along and saying, why is this happening? 41 chapters of Job wrestling, talking to God, crying out to God and saying, God, why? Why are you doing this? 41 chapters And God doesn't explain why. How did Job deal with that? Because that's a human thing. That's a human thing when something goes wrong in our lives. We want to say, but why, God? I didn't do anything wrong. I've done that. Why? We want to fix it. And if we know why it went wrong, maybe we can fix it. Through our human understanding, we can fix it. God doesn't tell Job 
why. But there is something that I think Job knew that can help us deal with the garbage of life that we sometimes have to trudge through. Job knew something that might help you today. Job knew that God is still in control even when life is out of control. Job maybe never knows why his life is out of control, but he still knows that God is in control. See, Job understood that everything he had gained in his life came from God. Job was upset, he was grieving, Job was broken on many levels, but he still knew that God was in control. Now that's a powerful, reliable source of hope because no matter what, is, uh, what you're stuck in the middle of, no matter how badly we feel like we're swirling around the toilet bowl, it remains true. Some of us needed to hear that today. I needed to hear that. But what's more, maybe some of us need to have some wild audacity today because we are dealing with something so big and our faith has been challenged so much that we really just need to say that. We need to speak that so that we know that that can be true in our lives. So if, if you're dealing with something and God is not telling you why, if life is out of control and you don't understand, if, if you are dealing with something, I just invite you to say it with me today because I need it too. God is still in control even when life is out of control. Some of you said that with me and you needed it, but some of you wished you had said it because you need that in your life. I'm gonna give you one more opportunity, one more chance. You don't have to, but I invite you if you need it. God is still in control even when life is out of control. I needed that, I needed that, thank you, and so did you. So do we all. Take a look at this picture. Not looking good for him, is it? In fact, if he had a phone in his hand, what do you think he'd be typing, you know? Poop, 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 poop. You know, if a bunch of dads gathered around me today and we were sort of just standing back looking at this, what would we say about this man's situation right now? Well, at least his life will have impact. I wonder what decisions he made that led to his downfall. It's kind of a down day for him, you know. But what if we were suddenly given the gift of perspective? Isn't it funny how seeing the big picture changes our interpretation of the circumstance? Let me ask you, as I ask myself, when you are having a bad day, which picture are you seeing? The big one or the small one? You know, the bigger your trial, and some of you are dealing with big ones, big, even the little picture looks big, the bigger your trial, the harder it's going to be sometimes to see the big picture. You might have to 
zoom out. You might have to change your angle to see the big picture. See, Job understood that somehow. Satan thought he could break Job. He thought, I will take everything Job has, everything that makes Job Job, I will take it away, and that will do it. But what Satan didn't truly, fully understand was that Job's possessions, the things that Job owned and controlled, did not make him the greatest man in the East. Job's deep understanding of who God was, Job's deep understanding that everything was from God and that God was everything to Job, that's what made him the greatest man in the East. And ultimately, Satan cannot break a person whose identity is totally intertwined with God. He can't do it. And I hope that one day I will reach that spot, and I hope that many of you will as well. Maybe we can each have that ultimate reliance in God's goodness, even on our worst days, even if it's painful, even when the text chain of our lives is poop, poop, poop. Even if we don't understand why. And by the way, there is no record of Job ever finding out why he went through what he went through. Why was his life so full of poop for a time? We don't know. But we can know this. God is still in control even when life is out of control. And the Bible confirms this hope. James 1.12 tells us not to give up, that our trials and tests of our faith lead to an incredible life because God rewards those who continue to trust him even on the worst of days. Jeremiah 29 tells us that we can be filled with hope because God has great plans for us. Habakkuk 3 tells us that even if the world is tearing itself apart, we can be glad because the Lord God is our savior. There is hope even when we look at our day and all we can see is the poop. The way to find the hope is to focus on the biggest picture of God that we can, on our most inspired day, and let me tell you, it still won't be big enough because God is bigger than that. Don't just focus on the dilemma. Don't just focus on the poop you are facing, no matter how difficult it is. Colossians 3, 2 tells us, fix your minds on things above, not on earthly things. When you go through difficult times, when the bad days come, and they will, mama told you so, Jesus tells you so, and I'm telling you so, the bad days will come. But teach your mind and your heart and your spirit to start focusing on God's goodness. It's gonna take time, but the hope that Jesus provides lifts us out of the sewage that is just flooding our lives. Even as I say that, I know how hard it is. I'm challenged by that. How do you even do that in the midst of grief, in the midst of things that you're dealing with? How do you train yourselves to immediately have a heavenly mindset? That's not easy. But here are four things I am working on that seem to help me, and maybe you've found others that work. Some of you have been dealing with things longer than I have. And if you have, don't keep your things a secret. Tell your friends, share in the chat what has helped you. Talk about it with your life groups or in the lobby. But here are my four. Number one, deeply root yourself in scripture. 
The Bible describes a lot of poop-filled situations. There is a massive flood, but there is also a rainbow. There is a terrible captivity of God's people, but there's also an exodus. There is a man dropped into a den of hungry lions, but there is also a God who shuts their mouths. No matter how bad the situation is in scripture, we can see from these incredible stories that God has an answer and there's hope. Burn those stories into your mind because the more you study them, the true accounts of actual people, the more you will start making that mental jump that you'll start seeing that when you trust God, it works. No matter how much poop has been dropped on you. Number two, pray right away. Don't wait until you know more about the situation. Don't try to face it alone and then invite God to help you once you've failed or fallen. Don't wait for the super prayer warriors. They are awesome people. You should talk with them. You should pray with them. But don't wait for them. What if they're eating lunch, okay? Don't wait for the super prayer people. Just pray right away. Even if you've never prayed a prayer in your life, Start just by being honest with God, even if you don't really know if he's there, and being honest with yourself. Ephesians 6.18 says that we should pray in every circumstance, and as we pray, God brings peace, because you don't fight through the poop of your life on your feet, you fight through it on your knees. Number three, and as an introvert, this one's especially true for me, bring a positive friend on negative days. There are certain people in my life that have helped my effectiveness and honestly stability in ministry, keep me sane. It's not just because they are smart or because they know theology, or that they know theology. I mean, they may know both of those things and most of them are very smart. But that's not why. It's more because they are optimistic and available. Thank you, God, for people who are optimistic and available. If you have someone like that, if you have some people like that in your life, hang on to them dearly. Stay with them. Let them in on your struggles, even if it hurts. Can you be a person like that? Maybe you are an encourager. Let me tell you something. Not many people need help feeling terrible. Not many people will come to you and ask, hey, could I've fallen down, can you please kick me? No, they're gonna say, you know, I could really use someone to help me feel a little better right now. Number four, this is the big one. Know the end of the story. You and I, all of us, we have an advantage that Job never had. And as well as Job handled all the incredibly difficult things in his life, and I certainly couldn't have done as well, but as well as he handled that, there was someone who handled it even better. There was a better and more perfect Job. Because like Job, Jesus had every bit of wealth and power that could be conceived by man. There was no one more powerful, and he chose to leave it all behind and live as one of us. He chose his trial. And he, was, he suffered 
He was betrayed. He had so many things go wrong in his life. He suffered without doing anything wrong. See, Jesus and Job had some similarities, but they also had a few differences. At the end of his trial, all the way at the book of, end of the book of Job, you see that Job prays for his friends, and believe me, his friends needed prayer. But at the end of his trials, what does Jesus do? He prays for his enemies. Job was never asked to die so that something could be restored, but Jesus died once for all, to bring restoration to all. Jesus took the worst parts of us, the things, the only things he sees in us and sees, it says, I, I can't deal with that. He, he looks and sees our sins. He looks and sees the poop of our lives. And rather than do what a human would do, what I would do if I see poop and say, stay away, he says, no. I see that evil, that sin, that poop that's come out of your life, and I'm gonna pick it up. I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take all of it. I'm gonna take it to the cross and be done with it. He takes the worst parts of us, the junk that Jesus hates and reviles, he takes it, the worst that life has to offer, he goes to the cross on the worst day that he could imagine and shows eventually the very best that God had to offer. Because even on the cross, we see this incredible thing. Jesus stretched out and dying. He cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you've only got a few breaths left on this planet, wouldn't you save your best words for last? Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? But then he follows up with, it is finished. Jesus, even though he didn't get the earth-splitting answer to his why question, he didn't hear a verbal response in that moment that we know of, still Jesus knew that God was good and that God was in control because he said, it is finished. Even when Jesus asked why, he knew that God had it under control. When Jesus feels like life is getting a little out of control. He still knows God is in control. Now, if we don't keep the end of that story in mind, we might be thinking this. Jesus died 2,000 years ago. He isn't here. My bad days are just the fate of my life. The world is full of sadness. There's nothing I can do about it. We're, we're here, we're born, we exist, we take up space, we struggle, we hurt, and we die. That's life. But when you have perspective, when you remember the end of the story with extreme confidence that Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father, brimming with hope, coursing with victory, you can see things a little bit differently. 
See, Jesus' death may have seemed like defeat, but his resurrection is replete and complete victory. He gives us the best kind of hope on the worst kinds of day. So where is God on your bad day? Where is God on my bad day? Where is he when things are turning to poop? I'll tell you where he's not. He's not in the grave. Instead, he is risen. So acknowledge your bad days. Say, yes, it's a bad day. Grieve over those things that are difficult. Work through them, but fix your mind. Set your mental and spiritual dwelling place with Jesus. Claim victory even while the battle is still being fought. Because Jesus, even when it looked like he was losing, he still knew that God was winning. He was claiming greatness for God even when he was having the worst of days. And hear this today, please. So can you. It can be well with you even if nothing seems well in your world right now. Let's pray.